Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. Exploring our oneness with spirit and each other. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living today with Rev. Ellen Grace O'Brien from the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California. To ask questions or join the discussion, email us at yogahour at unity.fm. Now, here's your host, Rev. Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, our time to open our hearts and our minds to the infinite. I'm Ellen Grace O'Brien, and I'll be sharing with you today some insights and practices from the spiritual path of yoga, the ancient science of self and God realization. Yoga is a Sanskrit word that means oneness. It refers to union or unity, meaning bringing our attention and our awareness to consciously abide in our essential nature, being restored to our original wholeness. So yoga is abiding in the conscious awareness of our true self. It is self-realization, knowing our spiritual nature and then, of course, living in harmony with it. Today's topic is yoga and intentional living, insights for living with purpose, skill, and clarity. The spiritual path of yoga has been described as simply a way of intentional living. You know, being awake in the world, living with purpose, skill, and meaning. So today we're going to take a look at how we can all live more skillfully and what skillful living makes possible for us. And joining us today in just a moment is Philip Moffat. Uh, former Esquire magazine CEO and editor-in-chief, Philip Moffat, had left his successful publishing career at the age of 40 to embark on a path that led him to become a Buddhist meditation teacher and to found the Life Balance Institute. 
where he trains executives and individuals in skillful living. He is a co-guiding teacher at Spirit Rock Meditation Center in Northern California and the author of Dancing with Life, Buddhist Insights for Finding Meaning and Joy in Everyday Life, as well as his recently published Emotional Chaos to Clarity, How to Live More Skillfully, Make Better Decisions, and Find purpose in life. To find out more about Philip's work, you can visit his website, Life Balance Institute. That's all together, lifebalanceinstitute.com. Before we uh, welcome Philip, we're going to just take a moment to meditate, a little centering meditation. Let's open our hearts and our minds to divine omnipresence. Becoming aware of one reality, one life, called by many names. This reality is the support and the substance of all that is. So right where we are right now, this divine essence is present. It is present as me, as you, as everyone, as everything. It is within us and around us and between us. So in this moment, we're simply going to use our breath to become aware. Being in this beautiful present moment, breathing in, Breathing out, not trying to change anything, not trying to change our breath, simply observing cool air entering the nostrils, warm air flowing out. As we attend to our breathing in the moment, Our restless thoughts begin to settle a bit. And we can touch the peace that is within us. The calm, the clarity. Become aware of our essential nature that is beyond words and thoughts, beyond all change and phenomena. Pure existence being. As we touch this peace within us in this moment of meditation. Let's invite that peace now to pervade the mind, the body. And let us intend to carry that peace with us now into the day ahead. And let that peace overflow and bless every encounter that we have today. Before we begin this uh, first segment on cultivating clarity, we want to take a moment to uh, welcome Philip Philip Moffat. Welcome, Philip. Are you online now? I'm not hearing him yet, Jeff. 
We've had a little uh, technical challenge this morning, so um, I know he's there, and he'll be connected with us in just a moment. Um, but let me start with our introduction. About cultivating clarity. Very often in life, Philip, are you there now? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, good morning. I'm very happy to be connected to you. I'm sorry we had a little technical difficulty this morning, um, but here a we little are, emotional, so a I... little chaos from the world. <laughs> That's right. So you were able to hear the opening of the program, but we couldn't hear you yet. So let's start with cultivating clarity. It seems that we have um, the perfect setup this morning, a little bit of chaos for us to deal with as we talk about how to cultivate clarity in the midst of it. Very often in life, of course, it's not just the circumstances that we encounter that that bring us uh, frustration or suffering, but our lack of skill to be able to meet those circumstances with clarity. So I would venture a guess that every one of us has experienced a kind of emotional turmoil that can cloud our reason, freeze up or impair our will, and undermine our ability to act wisely. So removing the sources of chaos and learning to live skillfully are essential components for any spiritual path, and they go a long way to positively support our well-being and our impact on others. Your your new book, Emotional Chaos to Clarity, How to Live More Skillfully, Make Better Decisions, and Find Purpose in Life, of course, deals with this um, profoundly. And uh, you begin your book with practices that empower us to achieve clarity about who we really are and what's important to us as this, this ground, the starting point. And of course, you begin with the practice of mindfulness. So um, let's begin there. Um, how do you define mindfulness and and really what drew you to it? You know, reading your story, there was a big change in your life. Although things were good as an executive there at Esquire magazine, something compelled you to make a major change. So tell us a little bit about that and how mindfulness comes into all of it. Okay, so mindfulness is the ability to stay present for what is happening in your body and mind and to stay alert to it so that you are registering what you're feeling, what's happening to you, what's motivating you. And in its mature form, it is being present without objecting to what's true in this moment. It doesn't mean that you may not change it because you realize this isn't this isn't good, so you act to change it. But there's not a an internal chaos such that you're objecting to it. Oh so body pain is like this. <laughs> and you mm. you you relieve body pain but you're not you're not objecting to the fact that life contains body pain or emotional mm-hmm. pain or heartbreak and so forth. Mm-hmm. And then for myself I was um, I, I was from my early twenties a practitioner of Raja Yoga, and then uh, encountered mindfulness in my days when I was in New York as the editor in chief of Esquire, and became very interested in how mindfulness was uh, added a new dimension to practice because of this 
uh, ability to see what was causing suffering or not causing suffering and in, in our lives. And I, I became more and more interested in this internal experience that we all have. And at age 40, I uh, uh, sold my interest in Esquire, and I uh, devoted my life to meditation and the inner life. Mm. And your and your book is really um, a beautiful gift of sharing those uh, practices and insights um, that you found in terms of h- how to really steer through uh, life with with clarity and with a clear intention. And we're going to be talking about. Um, those skills this morning. Um, but I want to come back to mindfulness and this ability to observe what is happening and, as you say, not not without resistance, ideally, just to be able to be the witness of what is happening. And, you know, so occasionally people see mindfulness um, as being aloof and removed. Um, you know, they, they feel like, gee, you know, when I'm just right there, you know, if I'm resisting what's happening, you know, I can be passionate about my life. And um, so, uh, you know, let's talk about how mindfulness is different from that and what it makes possible versus you know, allowing ourselves to be really caught up in what's going on? Well, uh, first of all, mindfulness uh, is um, not the the removed observer. This is where some people get confused, is they think they're supposed to be up on the ceiling, excuse me, looking down at themselves and saying, oh, you know, that, uh, look, there's that person that's having tumultuous thoughts or feeling insecure. But it's actually observing the experience from within the experience. So that if you're, if you're feeling uncertain or insecure, you, or you feel at this moment what it's like to feel uncertain and insecure. So it's like being, it's not like, it's the difference between watching waves in the ocean and being out in the ocean and feeling the movement of the waves. Mm-hmm. And this is such an important point because your life is in, in those waves. You're not wanting, to, from, from my point of view, you're not wanting to remove yourself from life. But that, that's, that's kind of dead. Mm-hmm. But rather exactly. to be there in the midst of your life but not be, uh, not be caught in it, but rather mm-hmm. to have choice in relation to all the waves of your life, the very positive ones that you're grateful for having and the ones that are not so welcome, but nonetheless, there they are, and the ones that are kind of like you're sort of not paying much attention to. And so there's a skill that comes with mindfulness that is a quality of um, attending, observing, being present, that allows us to experience, you know, from the inside, what is happening without mm, becoming overwhelmed by it, or, or, yeah, so that we have to become, you know, reactive to it. I mean, there's the distinction that comes there, right? Absolutely. The difference between a reactive mind in which you get caught in. It's something, so let's imagine that you, you have a tendency towards anger. So you have this wave of anger pass through you, and you, you become so reactive to what's making you anger that you take birth in that anger, and you become defined by that anger, and it, it, it defines what you do. 
Whereas uh, through mindfulness, you cultivate a responsive mind. Same wave of anger might pass through you, but you recognize, oh, this is anger. Being angry feels like this. And mm-hmm. what are my choices here? What do I want mm-hmm. to do? So that you're only in a, a, a responsive mind to the anger, not in this reactivity. And that's where the freedom is. It's very practical. It is very practical. And I, and I like to imagine that that's what the, the Buddha meant in the the translations that I have read anyway of the Dhammapada. There's, a, there's one line in there where they translated teaching of the Buddha as never be angry. And I thought, well, that's not possible, <laughs> but but we we can, in a sense, um, learn how you know not to run with it. Where I think that is the distinction. You know, we we experience right. anger, but we don't have to be the anger ourselves. So right. um, that that's how uh, I have held that. But I remember when I first read it, I thought, well. That's not going to work, and and then you know as we as, as we talk about um, you know people confusing this spiritual tool um, with becoming aloof and removed. You know I think that ha- it certainly happens in Kriya Yoga meditation, and it, and it sounds like you know it could be there in the Buddhist mindfulness if people don't understand it correctly. That there's this um, sense or a fantasy that the spiritual life would be about you know simply being in this observer mode where we're separate um, from life and we're free from, you know, all these, all these things. But um, we do have a freedom, but it's not that kind of detachment. Um, as you said, that, that would be, um, you know, not really being fully alive. Right. Well, and so if, if whatever you were being plagued by, if it's anger or if it's uh, insecurity or wanting, those, those states of mind through practice rise less often with less intensity and with less duration. Mm-hmm. And you can easily measure this for yourself. Less frequent, less duration, less intensity. And that's true. And and a part of it. So we're talking about the skill of being mindful in the moment and what what that what that can bring and how ultimately that begins to change. um, Well, really, it changed the mind field itself. But a a skill that we practice that supports this is meditation, of course. So um, can we're going to take a break in just a moment? But can you just briefly talk about the connection to? you know, a meditation practice to being able to live in this skillful, mindful way. Meditation is where we learn to collect and unify our mind, like it's the samadhi practice, which then allows us to have enough clarity of mind to see what's true and to realize that we do have choices. We do have choices within our own mind in terms of how we respond to experience. So meditation it creates both more concentration and more mindfulness. Mm. And and you know meditation, of course, it teaches us a lot, doesn't it, about being in the world itself. You know that meditation, of course, is not for its own sake, um, but it's it, it's a it's a place. It's our it's our workshop where yes, you know, it's learn. Means. To an end, which in the end is the end of creating suffering in our own minds and hearts. 
Exactly. So it, it's about you know being in the world, um, free, um, freeing ourselves from unnecessary suffering and uh, and others as well who have to interact with us. So we're going to take a, a break now. You're listening to the Yoga Hour with guest Philip Moffat, author of Emotional Chaos to Clarity: How to Live More Skillfully, Make Better Decisions, and Find Purpose in Life. And you can find out more about his work, his workshops, his books at his um, website, lifebalanceinstitute.com. We'll be right back with more about skillful living. When listeners like you contribute to the Unity Online Radio Network, you're making a positive difference in your life and the lives of other spiritual seekers. To contribute, visit www.unity.fm and make a one-time donation or sign up for monthly contributions. Thank you for your support. He's the most talked about figure in history. How do you see Jesus? As a savior, a way shower, a mythical hero. In his cutting edge new book, Jesus 2.1, an upgrade for the 21st century, Reverend Dr. Thomas Shepard explores the many human concepts of Jesus. The man of Nazareth has been an imaginary spiritual playmate for millions. Best friend, confidant, silent lover, surrogate father, brother, husband, Trusted king when earthly governments fail. All-purpose superhero who will save the day before the final credits roll. Jesus is like a program that has been adapted through the ages while the basic code remains undisturbed despite all subsequent modifications. Now it is our time to rewrite and reinstall the Jesus program with updates for today, just as every previous generation has done and every subsequent generation will do. The Romans killed Jesus for being a revolutionary. Every succeeding generation kills him anew by losing sight of the ongoing revolution in human consciousness that he represents. Explore the new book, Jesus 2.1, at www.shopunity.org. Do you think you know all you want to know about the characters in the Bible? Do you know who could be called the king who loved too much? Or what it means to be a Jezebel? Or that the best love story in the Bible begins with the declared commitment of two women? The Bible's symbolic meaning can help you transform your life and discover the presence and power of God within you. Find out what these characters can teach you about your own life today by tuning into Biblical Power for Your Life. Each week, co-hosts Reverends Karen Tudor and E.J. Niles present a Bible character from a historical, cultural, psychological, and symbolic perspective. Your comments and questions are part of this lively discussion. Tune in every Thursday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, and power up your life only at Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
listening to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way with Reverend Ellen Grace O'Brien. We now return to the Yoga Hour. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm Ellen Grace O'Brien. My guest today is Philip Moffat, author of Emotional Chaos to Clarity, How to Live More Skillfully, Make Better Decisions, and Find Purpose in Life. And I want to give you a correction to his website. It is lifebalanceinstitute.org. Not, I said .com earlier, but it's .org. So lifebalanceinstitute.org. Philip, in the second part of you, your book, you're, you're focusing on developing skillful behaviors and you describe uh, several life skills that we can use to clarify the mind um, and you also talk about skills of the heart. So I want to take a moment to, to, to look at some of those skills and um, you have a recommendation for starting your day with clarity. That sounds delicious. You know, just, <laughs> it just sounds so good to start the day with clarity. So how do you recommend that, that we do that? Um, you know, given especially the way that, that life is, you know, we, we had technical difficulties this morning. You know, yesterday they were working on the water main in front of our house and so we had no water. So, how do we start the day with clarity in the midst of this changing world of changing conditions? Well, my recommendation is that uh, at the very beginning of your day when the mind is most fresh, that it, that is the moment you begin cultivating clarity. And this is uh, as old as every religious tradition. There is an emphasis on starting your uh, day with the intentions early in the morning when the mind is fresh. This is not unique to me. I don't claim ownership of it in that way. And the, what I recommend is that when you first get up or when you're even still lying there in bed, that you start to go through a, a, a series of exercises that you can do, mental exercises, starting with the body itself and relaxing the body just going through a progression of relaxing the body such that you, you, become, um, you, you become aware of any tension that you're bringing into your day and letting loose of that, that tension, and it really works. I mean, the body, within a, a couple of weeks, will learn how to relax at another level because the mind's so fresh that it can let loose. You can feel your habitual tension patterns and start to let loose of them. And then I, I go through a, a process of how to relax the mind because the mind, too, can uh, learn to let loose of its old habits. You may wake up with start worrying right away or there's some, there's some frustration and you go back to it over and over again like a dog chewing on a bone. There's not anything you can do about it, but your mind has gotten used to that. And as uh, lying there or sitting there, you can see that happening and realize that you have a choice. You don't have to do that. And if you, if you go back to that old worry, that old, uh, old complaint, that old fear, it only creates misery in your life. But it, it's just a habit of mind. It's not you. It's neither me nor mine. It is, it is said in the neti neti. Mm-hmm. And then likewise to then start to imagine, well, what is this day? What do I really care about? If this were the last day of my life, how would I want to act as a human being? 
you have the duties, the responsibilities that you will be doing during that day, but you can choose how you are going to go about fulfilling those duties in relation to the, your intentions of kindness, your intentions of being truthful, the intention of not rushing, so that you really establish in your own mind what it is that you want to express as you're going through the various activities that you have to do in a day. Mm. And those, those values, these intentions, don't vary based on what the duties are. So if you have an intention of kindness, you may have to get some things done at work. You have to deal with your children. You have to uh, do some work around the house. But your, your, your values don't change based on those. The skills you use to get the house fixed or deal with your children or get your work done at, at, in your job vary, but not these underlying values. And you reaffirm to yourself every morning, these are the values by which I choose to live this day. Mm, so you're really talking about um, sort of a moment or two or three moments of preparation before we even get out of bed, and you know, yeah, reco- recon- yeah, reconnecting to our deepest um, values and our intentions that come out of those values. And I really appreciated um, the work in your book on um, understanding how empowering intention is and the distinction um, that you make um, between, you know, having goals which are important but are future-oriented and having intentions, you know, which which support those fulfillment of those goals, which, you know, begin right in the moment. So we don't have to wait um, for any intention that we have, it it really it, it, it that is the way that we chart our course. It is so liberating to the mind heart to have cultivated this intention, so that we know how we wish to live. So then we've got a ground, we've got an orientation, and we're not defined by all the different circumstances that happen to us during the day. Getting caught in traffic, someone stealing our parking space. We, we have a way to respond to these mundane things uh, because we have cultivated this intentional way of living. Yeah, that is really a, such a great distinction. And I think in particular for those of us in the West who tend to be very goal-oriented, which is future-oriented. You know, we are future-oriented culture. Our, our our general mindset in the West has been, you know, towards uh, the next horizon, <laughs> which, you know, n- never uh, really arrives, does it? I mean, you know, there's always another never. one being beyond it. And so I think a lot of the suffering that we 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 experience can be self-imposed um around the way that we hold our goals. And it's not that, you know, goals aren't important, they are. Um but when when we continually put off our happiness or our our sense of well-being um because we've connected it to something that we are going to achieve, which is in the future, we're in a sense putting off our life all the time. Well, what we so easily do is we get caught in imagining that if I just have X or Y, I'm going to be so happy. But in fact, 
when we get that X or Y, we immediately want something else, or we get there and, and go, well, it's not quite as good as I thought it would be, or we get it, at first we're very happy, and then we start taking it for granted or even lose interest in it. So the, this the connecting back to who we wish to be as a human being, how we, how we wish to be presenting ourselves as though we were artists and we were painting of the canvas of our own life. It's through our intentions and values that we learn how to do that. And it's uh, quite powerful. I've had thousands of people now working with starting your day with clarity. And one part that has been particularly helpful, they report, is this, uh, this phrase that I introduce as best I am able. Mm-hmm. Because it, it, when we, when, even when we're wishing to uh, be a kind person or wishing to uh, tell the truth uh, throughout our day or, or to have humor in our day, sometimes it's not going to work. So an intention is an intention to do as best I am able. It is not to deliver a result. And people yeah, get because, very confused yeah. about this. Mm-hmm. And this this is really good felt because it it dis, it helps us then distinguish to make the distinction between an intention and a goal. Otherwise, yeah. even your intention becomes a goal, right? <laughs> you know, That's if right. you're if you're holding it as something that you're going to do perfectly, then um, of course you're setting yourself up to fail. <laughs> but and but it's you're... In, in this moment, intention is in this moment. Again, mm-hmm. this is one of these things that it's obvious once you start watching your own life for a while. But you you may never have noticed this. Uh, that it's it's in this very moment that we either uh, have an intention and live it or or not. And as long as we're connecting to it then in time we start to be more and more effective in living the way we intend. Mm-hmm. It's this very it, moment. That's the only choice we ever have in life is this very true. moment because we're it's not in the past moment and we're not in the future moment. And, and it's an illusion to, to think about, you know, living in the, in the future, in the future moment. Oh, yeah. Um, and I, and I really liked the, um, pieces that you included that were inspired by uh, Sharon Salzberg. Um, you know, in, in terms of beginning again, that is really lovely. Um, so let's talk about that a little bit because, you know, when we're doing this work with clarity of intention and we, we come to situations in life where, you know, we don't quite measure up to, you know, how it was we, we really wanted to do that. And so uh, you have talked about this practice of beginning again. Can, can you share a little bit about that? Two very wonderfully empowering principles. One is you start where you are. So if you're if you're restless at this moment and your 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 intention is to be a patient person, you can't start as a patient person if this very moment you're completely impatient. You you you're very clear that you wish to cultivate patience, but you have to, you have to start where you are. We all do. And it's amazing the number of people who meditate, who actually sit down to meditate with some concept of who they're supposed to be meditating, rather than meditating as the person that is there right now. Mm-hmm. And, and therefore, mm-hmm. their meditation doesn't go so well. Mm-hmm. So if you've got a restless mind, you sit there with restless mind. That's your beginning. And then as, as you acknowledge where you are, 
you, you're able to calm down. And then the second principle is starting over. So you're very clear moving towards something in your life, and you get knocked off balance. You get distracted from it. Oh, I've been distracted. Oh, I'm knocked off my center. I just come back. You, you just start over, start over. This is very uh, uh, easily practiced in meditation when you're going to be, say, what you're being with your breath, and you're being with your breath in meditation, and then your mind wanders off. So you mm-hmm. can have then a whole lot of view, oh, I'm not a good meditator. My mind always wanders. That's pointless chatter. Instead, just start over. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, my mind's wandering a lot. Okay, so that's, this is starting where you are right now. I'm starting with the mind that's wandering alive, but I will always start over. And all I have to do is start over one more time than the restless mind. Mm. I think really there's such a sense of um, spaciousness in that approach, you know, and I, I have found that it's, a, it's something that I've lived by for a long time and, and you and uh, Sharon put it into words you know, so beautifully that um, this sense that, you know, we're, we're starting over all the time, you know, in a really moment to moment, we're starting over Absolutely. And, um, and bringing our intention into that, into that present moment is, is a very, very powerful way um, to approach staying conscious and, and really, I think, living joyfully at the, at the heart of it, because it, it means that we're, you know, we're not um, lit, trying to measure ourselves by some future um, measuring stick. But, you know, here yeah. we are in the present moment, you know, beginning again, beginning again. And I always feel like there's so much, you know, what I call grace in that. It's a beautiful grace of, of beginning again. I don't have to be who I was yesterday. <laughs> That's right. That's I right. Can, and you don't, you, you, you don't have to be defeated by those moments that you're not who you wish to be. You just start over. You just start over. And one way that we see how we do ourselves in is that we, we, we have these stories that we carry around with us. And so rather than staying with what we're experiencing this moment, we, we go into our story about it. So you have a moment of being impatient. And, and it's just a moment of being impatient. It, due, it arose due to conditions. And you're, if, as you reconnect, that, that impatience would settle down. But if you go into your story, oh, I'm an impatient person. Life has not been fair to me. Then you become lost. We, it happens to all of us. We become lost in our story and not really available for the present moment anymore. We're living out the story. We're living out some in movie in our mind rather than responding to what's here and now. Mm, and these stories, of course, separate us from the direct experience we're having, and, and they, they also separate us from our own ability to respond skillfully um, to the moment that, that's arising before us, you know, because we, <laughs> we're not there. <laughs> we're, we're, yeah. We're, yeah. You know, we're, we're off on our Hollywood movie set, you know, in our minds, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And so many times the stories aren't very nice that we tell ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's those, those stories were the, the, the realness rather than what's happening in this very moment. What's happening now and your intention in relation to it and your goals and all in this very moment, that's what's real. That's immediate. It's here. You can affect it. 
They, they, you know, the stories that you developed from your childhood or that we were, others have told us about ourselves, those are just stories. It's not that stories aren't important. They are important, but they don't, they, they, they're not the center. The center is here and now. Mm-hmm. And the empowering place for us to be able to live out of our intentions is here and now. And, and you uh, include in your work, and I and I can tell just from talking to you how it how it permeates your work. These skills of the heart, you know, as well as what we call the skills of the mind, you know, bringing awareness moment to moment. But these skills of the heart to bring forth loving kindness and compassion um so you know how do these skills help us live with clarity well a loving kindness uh, uh, is the this capacity of the heart that is well wishing towards ourselves and others it is a general attitude that, that is not based on any particular conditions. So walking down the street and someone's walking towards you, you can be cultivating a, a loving kindness towards that person without ever needing to make eye contact with them or know who they are or anything. There's just this general attitude of, of may you be well. And uh, that kind of attitude uh, allows us to not get caught up in this reactive mind or not get lost when we have a lot of emotional chaos because we come back to our loving kindness. Compassion is a very different emotion than loving kindness. Compassion, the Buddha described as the heart's quiver. It is a responsive emotion that comes when we see something where someone is hurting. So it, it's not the compassion isn't running when the, you, someone's walking down the street towards you. You're not going, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry for your suffering, yeah, because you don't know they are suffering at this moment. It, mm-hmm. it comes when you see or, or witness or feeling a particular situation, and we, we, as we, sometimes it's easier for us to be compassionate than it is for us to be loving, kind, or vice versa. So we mm-hmm. we cultivate each of these as skill sets. Is to have compassion towards people we approve of and to have compassion towards people that we really don't approve of their behavior. Mm-hmm. But still because, we have compassion. Because these skills were really, in a, in a sense, in a, in a selfish way, <laughs> we're cultivating for ourselves. They improve the quality of, of our, our life. And, um, yeah. and, and so, you know, that... Um, his Holiness the Dalai Lama talked about, you know, we begin with a kind of um, selfish selflessness <laughs> as we as we are evolving, you know. So we we practice these things initially because they help us, you but pray, you know, ultimately, you of course, they can help see? others too. What We're going to take a break can. now. I'm Ellen Grace O'Brien, and you're listening to the Yoga Hour with special guest Philip Moffat. His website is lifebalance.org. Based on his 35 years in ministry, author Jim Rose Murgy has developed a prayer and meditation practice called The Gathering. In just 40 days, The Gathering will become your foundation for a genuine, ever-deepening experience of God's imminent presence and unlimited power. You'll understand that God can't fulfill your needs, but your needs can be met. You'll see that prayer isn't something you do, it's something you experience. Explore Jim Rose Murgy's new book, The Gathering, 
a 40-day guide to the power of group and personal prayer. Available now at www.unitybooks.org. Music Speaks Louder Than Words is an inspiring, informative, and fun hour of uplifting, heartfelt music and commentary that delivers a powerful message of love, joy, and oneness. It will keep you smiling and singing along. Your host, Dale Worley, is alive with the Spirit of God each Thursday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern, with Music Speaks Louder Than Words. Music, it's the only thing that the whole world listens to. Listening to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way with Reverend Ellen Grace O'Brien. If you have a question, please submit it via email at yogahour at unity.fm and we will respond. Now, back to the Yoga Hour. Back to the Yoga Hour. I'm Ellen Grace O'Brien, and my guest today is Philip Moffat, author of the book Emotional Chaos to Clarity How to Live More Skillfully, Make Better Decisions, and Find Purpose. Philip, in the uh, third part of your book, you um, explore practices that help us remove common sources of chaos from our lives. And um, you have a chapter on keeping boundaries. And um, you you talk about how you have come to see boundaries as being about stewardship. Um, boundaries is an issue that you know many people struggle with. You know, for one, they don't understand what boundaries are, um, why they're important, and so um, let's talk a little bit about this. Where did this insight come of um, boundaries as stewardship? Well, in my work with individuals in meditation retreats. I heard story after story about people's uh, trauma that had arisen in regard to some boundary issue, and maybe when they were a child or maybe a, a young person, but also in daily life, no matter their age. And there's, there's two kinds of boundary violations that happen. One is a kind of trespass where someone really is, is uh, doing something that is inappropriate in language or action. And the other kind of boundary issue is what I've termed enmeshment, where there is not a, a, a separation of one ego to another. So a, a, a parent who's overly mothering you or over, overly guiding you as a father who, who, who wants you to choose the career that he wants for you or whatever that is, that would be a form of enmeshment, not letting you make your choice but thinking that you're an extension of him or an extension of her if it's your mother. And so these these two happen, uh, these two kinds of boundary issues happen, and uh, we get we we can easily not have learned good boundaries. So the people at work can get us to do their work, or we can be in situations where people really don't treat us right in their language, and we don't we don't have the signaling capacity to say that's not acceptable. We've not developed that, and so in both ways. We, uh, we, we have a trespass of our, or have a, have a violation of our boundaries through the trespassing or the enmeshment. And then what we, 
what gets confused sometimes is that people think, oh, well, it's my ego. My ego's getting insulted or my ego, this is not right to my ego. But I, I teach it as much more a core value problem that the, that we are stewards. Our ego is, is supposed to be the steward of protecting this innate sense of human dignity of the right of every individual to its own autonomy or her, his or her own autonomy. And so mm-hmm. that is the stewardship that we're going to, oh, it's not about, oh, well, I shouldn't be treated that way. I'm better than that. It's not this kind of ego uh, stuff, but rather this feeling of the heart that, no, this isn't right. This isn't mm-hmm. right. This isn't actually good for the other person to be doing mm-hmm. this to me. And lots and, you of know, little small ways in our lives. And your book, of course, begins, and then, you know, circle back. It, it, you invite people to circle back at the end of the book, circle back to the beginning of the book, where, um, you know, you have us explore uh, who, who we are and our, and our sense of, of knowing who we are um, on many levels, you know, who we are in, in our core, our essential nature, how, you know, how the ego functions, um, and it seems to me that, you know, boundary problems arise, um, one of the reasons that they arise is when we don't have clarity about who we are, um, when we're not grounded in that clarity about ourselves, it, it allows other people <laughs> to project whatever they want, you know, onto us and act um, you know, in accordance with their view of who we are. So, you know, we need to to show up in a way that, that lets other people know, you know, who we are, uh, what our values are, what our, you know, how, how to interact with us. So if we, um, I, I see that as an important element in, um, avoiding boundary violations. You know, some people who are trying so hard to please other people that they don't let themselves show up um, are going to run into boundary violations all the time. You're absolutely right. If, you, if you're always trying to please others, if you don't treat yourself as having innate worth, this invites boundary violations. If there's not clarity, that's why starting your day with clarity. If there's not clarity as to what you're about, if you haven't started to cultivate an intentional life, saying that these are the intentions that I live by moment to moment in my life, all of these things uh, create this, uh, this signal. When, when we've not developed the, them, the signal is one of, oh, no, you, you can just come right in and run over me. And this is really uh, widespread, this violation of boundaries in the workplace. And even among friends, which is uh, a little shocking, but there will often be a, a kind of a, uh, a taking advantage of a bit of abusive friendship uh, mm-hmm. in various ways. It's, it's, uh, again, I hear this on retreats when people are, because they're sitting in silence day after day, and they come up uh, upon their own experiences in their daily life that they're, that they're reflecting on and retreat. They don't mean to be. They just can't help it. And they start having these insights, and they're troubled, and they come in and want to talk about them. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and, and I think you know, we like you say, it's pretty common. We we experience it, and and you know, I, I notice when there's a boundary violation um, that what arises for me, you know, generally is anger. Um, and you know, although you know, anger for me is not. Um, you know, some people find that as kind of the primary emotion. It's just sort of the go-to. And But it, that's not the case for me. But I do find that arising um, when there's a boundary violation. And so I've come to see that that's a healthy response. Um, you know, I, I look at it. I don't have to uh, respond with anger, but I can see that the anger arises because a boundary needs to be made. And so it's it's kind of just the energy of making a boundary. It's really quite lovely. It's, it's a good signal. It's mm-hmm. not to be acted upon uh, without consideration, but it's an excellent signal. Well, something's going on here that's not right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And And you talk about you know how um, we really need to be aware of, um, of violence, cycles of self-violence that you talk about, um, and that we can be in denial about that. So uh, this may be connected here to this conversation about boundaries. Indeed, it can. Yeah. Uh, I quote in the book Thomas Merton, who says that that the violence of our time is the overscheduling over trying to do, trying to do everything. And we indeed uh, do overschedule. We, we try to cram too much into a day. We let ourselves uh, uh, make commitments that it's impossible to do well because we have too many of them. And we have a, um, we have a way that we, that we deny ourselves of, uh, of sleep, of, um, of the relaxation moment. Of, of a time to just let our minds recollect, and it is it is terrible, and, and the effect, and of course the regular ones of, of abusing food or alcohol or drugs, uh, are, they they are part of that. But mm-hmm. it actually starts with how we deal with our time and with the way we're honoring ourselves as living creatures that need time for our hearts and our minds to recover and to reconnect to themselves. Mm, and it seems to be really rampant in our culture today, doesn't it, Philip? I mean, even to where, you know, we see, and I mean, certainly I've read it and I can, I can see it uh, around me, that um, parents are even overscheduling the lives of their children today. You know, when I was so growing up. that you way know, to we, me. We had we had lots of free time, um, uh, you know, to to just play and imagine and be. I mean, I can remember even just sitting in my room as a child, and that was quite delightful for me. <laughs> but you know, today, you know, kids have soccer practice, and then they have you know scouting, and then they have this and they have that. So, uh, are you observing that as well? Well, it's all scheduled by the hours and all, and that's part of the unfortunate. There's not much serendipity in it because everything, play dates are arranged. All these, all of these events are arranged. And then, of course, they go home in so many instances to a constancy of stimulation from their texting to their video games to, uh, to whatever they might be doing on the web. And the result is that this quiet time where the imagination gets to discover itself is so often lost. 
Mm, and, so and the clarity. I am not a child psychologist, so I <laughs> not saying this as that kind of an expert, but as one who observes through meditation, the this this uh, um, uh, the imaginative space is very important developmentally, and it does not stop being important. By the way, I can certainly say that because exactly. I have observed thousands and thousands of people in retreat. It's important Very to important. all of us. It's important to all of us, and it's time for us to to conclude. And I think that's a beautiful invitation to for us to conclude with to um, be intentional about um, having space in our life and to know that it is valuable. It's been a joy to share this yoga hour with you. Thank you so much, Philip, for joining us today. Remember, you can visit his website, Life Balance Institute. I'll be back with you next week. And remember uh, to let your inner light shine into the world to share your peace and your joy with everyone that you meet. Bye now. Bye, Philip. Bye. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for tuning in to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way with Reverend Ellen Grace O'Brien. Join us every Thursday morning at 10 Central, 8 a.m. Pacific, for practical, purposeful methods for spiritually conscious living every day. The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, only on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. This program is brought to you in part by friends and members of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California, a ministry in the tradition of Kriya Yoga, the ancient science of self and God realization www.csecenter.org Request free literature by writing info at csecenter.org Do you think you know all you want to know about the characters in the Bible? Do you know who could be called the king who loved too much? Or what it means to be a Jezebel? Or that the best love story in the Bible begins with the declared commitment of two women. The Bible's symbolic meaning can help you transform your life and discover the presence and power of God within you. Find out what these characters can teach you about your own life today by tuning into Biblical Power for Your Life. Each week, co-hosts Rev. Karen Tudor and E.J. Niles present a Bible character from a historical, cultural, psychological, and symbolic perspective. Your comments and questions are part of this lively discussion. Tune in every Thursday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, and power up your life only at Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Understand the laws of the universe and live a life based on these profound and unwavering truths, then your dream life starts today. No more waiting, no more wandering. If you're ready to let go of the striving and move into the allowing, you are ready for everyday attraction on Unity Online Radio. We study the teaching of Abraham given to us by beautiful Esther Hicks so we can release confusion for clarity, exchange struggle for serenity, and have the time of our lives today. Join host Ray Zander every Friday at noon Central Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on Unity Online Radio for Everyday Attraction, where the law of attraction gets real.
Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry, where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. 